that has gripped the woke folk over the change of election laws in Georgia. It's almost as if a state can't decide its own election laws. Which is funny because when the courts in Pennsylvania usurp the authority of the legislature in Pennsylvania regarding the presidential election, the political left was fine with it. They should not have been. Because the legislature gets to make the call. That's how it works. In this case, in Georgia, the legislature did make the call. And indeed, the bill was signed into law. And that bill goes about a series of conversations. Specifically to the idea that you need an ID to vote. That you're not going to just send out ballots in a willy-nilly fashion. Now, if you say to me, hey, I don't like the fact that they want to shorten up, possibly, voting times, I would say to you, okay, well, disagree with that. Fight that. I would. I think it's a terrible idea to shorten up voting times. We should be having a full 24-hour period. I haven't changed my thoughts on that whatsoever. Election day should be from midnight to 11.59 p.m. That's how long it should go. That way everybody can get there, everybody can show up one day, and you're not allowed to even put out a result until all the polls are closed. So everybody votes in the, in the same uh, 24-hour period all across the country, out through Hawaii. They close at the same time, they can get tabulated, and then we find out. That's the way I would do it. So it doesn't even have to be from midnight to 11.59. It could be from 5 uh, p.m. to 4.59 p.m. the next day. See? And then we get the results and everybody knows and nobody has to stay up late at night. It's a dream come true. I got a system. But my system involves actually knowing who the voter is. I got asked the question, if, if you uh, need an ID, right? Right? Some people say you don't need a license to own a firearm. Why should I need a driver's license to vote? No, 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 no. Let's not confuse the issues. You do not need a driver's license to vote. You need an ID to prove who you are. And if you tell me that ID should be provided by the state so there is no poll tax, meaning you'd have to pay for an ID for your right to vote, I'm okay with that. You don't need a driver's license in order to get a firearm. You need an ID to prove who you are, and then you have to fill out the 4473, and then you do the background check, and then you're somebody with a firearm. There you go. Just that easy. Happy to clear that up for people. But the Georgia rules are not racist. And it is laughable that this continues to be a conversation. That people like George Conway... I could go either way on requiring ID to vote. Well, if you can go either way on it, clearly you're not somebody of substance. Going after these Georgia Georgia laws, saying, and I do think it's being advocated by today to support a false narrative of election fraud, but it does appear that most democracies do require ID for either registration or voting. Why is it, what, what would make you think this is being supported by Republicans to support a false narrative of electoral fraud? It's a common sense rule. You want to talk about common sense gun laws, but you won't talk about common sense voting laws? It's nonsense. And the people pushing it as racist are lying. 
They are flat out lying from beginning to end. And there's people out there like Representative Hank Johnson. Now, he's there on CNN, and they're showing some video behind him, and you can actually hear it, where a member of the state legislature there in Georgia was arrested because she was trying to interrupt the, the bill signing. She was told to leave, and, and obviously there was some law on the books that she broke, and she got arrested, and she caused a scene. She's not a freedom fighter, by the way. She broke the law. You get If you're speeding, you may get a ticket. But this is Representative Hank Johnson on these new Georgia voting laws. Well, it's a throwback to the past when it's actually almost like a knee on the neck of uh, Georgia voters, just like that officer had his knee on the neck of George Floyd. Hank Johnson has never been an intellectual. Representative Hank Johnson is the man who once asked in a hearing of a member of the military, uh, do we have too many troops in Guam? I fear the island will capsize. I can't make that up. That actually happened. And he keeps getting elected in the state of Georgia. Then you've got the president, Joe Biden, referring to this as Jim Crow. The new Georgia election law. It's an atrocity. The idea, you want any indication that it has nothing to do with fairness, nothing to do with decency. They passed a law saying you can't provide water for people standing in line while they're waiting to vote. You don't need anything else to know that this is nothing but punitive designed to keep people from voting. You can't provide water for people about to vote. Give me a break. I want to be sure we're clear about something here. People don't need water to vote. Tell them to grow up and bring their own damn water. But it's their hill, producer Ari. This whole thing about the water is their hill. Their their entire argument is based on the idea that somehow you can't make, you, 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 you can't bring somebody some water when they're online to vote. No, I, I'm just saying it's a weird hill to die on. It's because they have nothing else. And all they can do is keep up this absolute madness that these rules are the worst rules in the world. Now, it wasn't just the president saying that. Here's Michael Eric Dyson, pseudo-intellectual, on uh, MSNBC with Joy Reid, and not only does he make it about water, he makes it about Jesus. Very quickly, you met recently with President Biden, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, with other historians. Do you think that Joe Biden is ready to do that, to get rid of the filibuster? Very quickly, we're out of time. Very much out of time. Well, uh, you know, I, I think he's contemplating it seriously when he sees the consequences. What he needs to do is fill these busters with some fear of the government. These are the kind of people who will pass a law to keep Jesus from beginning a cup of water while he's dying on the cross. <laughs> it is not for me... To explain to Michael Eric Dyson the very concept of Jesus and suffering and the whole purpose that it brings to Christians. I don't I am not getting in on that, guys. That's all you. Do you know how insane you are? If this is your argument? Anyone who's voting who doesn't bring their own bottle of water, screw them. What? 
how dare you make me think or how dare you say that that's something I should think about or care about. It's grown-ups. They'll bring a bottle of water. They'll bring a Paps Blue Ribbon if they damn well feel like it. But this is their argument. This is who they are. They don't, they don't have anything on the merits. They can't really object to voter ID because when they do, they make the claim that someone who's black or someone who's Asian or someone who's Hispanic isn't smart enough to get an ID. Which I just want you to tell, I want to be there when you tell black person after black person that they're not smart enough to get an ID. I just want to watch that bigotry happen so I can go back and report to my children, you will not believe the bigoted you know what I just saw today. Don't ever be this way. If you think someone isn't incapable of getting an ID because of the color of their skin, you just might be a bigot. You might be a racist. Now, the best was Dana Bash from CNN. She's got Senator Raphael Warnock on from Georgia and asks him about boycotts. Does corporate America need to be more forceful in denouncing this law? Should boycotts be on the table? Wow. That should not have cut out. Here's what he answers. I think we all have to use our voices. And uh, I have to tell you, as the pastor of Ebenezer Church, I've seen these corporations falling over themselves every year around the time of the King holiday celebrating Dr. King. And yes, I think that uh, the way to celebrate Dr. King uh, is to stand up for what he represented, voting rights. And uh, so we will see how all of that plays out. But I'm focused on uh, what we can do in the United States Senate. We have a responsibility uh, to make sure that we secure the franchise. And we, when we do that, we protect the democracy. And I think also uh, we set the climate for business. Uh, we- whoa, 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 whoa. Are you telling me Raphael Warnock, a guy who has been an anti-Semite on the campaign trail, a guy who is a leftist leftist, he doesn't favor boycotts over this new Georgia voter law? We want to see people prosper, uh, particularly who have been suffering for months under this pandemic. Uh, We need to pass this legislation, protect uh, uh, the right of the people uh, to be heard in their own democracy, uh, and to make sure that, that Georgia is open, open for business and open for voting. So no boycotts? Listen, I'm, I'm not focused on that. I am focused okay. on what I can do as a United States senator. I can't wait till people call him a sellout. Can't wait. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball is getting pressure and others to pull their events. They want sporting events pulled out of Georgia until this law is, is overturned. All right, Georgia doesn't get any sporting events. Screw them. You'll notice that I have no kindness in me on this subject. It's because the argument is nonsensical. And the viciousness is too ridiculous. And if there's one thing that we're simply not going to allow to stand, it's the basic premise that you should be able to vote without proving who you are. And that somehow it's bigoted to say you have to prove who you are is so radically daft that the people who make that claim should be made fun of. They should be publicly humiliated.
The idea is so ridiculously ignorant that it should force laughter upon the lips of anyone who should hear it. Like a Monty Python sketch about the world's deadliest joke because it made people laugh so hard they died. That's what this should be. You think it's racist to demand an ID? People should laugh in hysteria and then need hospitalization for three days. It's such a ridiculous concept. Major League Baseball should tell the woke who are demanding this boycott to shove it. But in Major League Baseball, man, they've got, they've got no willingness to fight whatsoever. A lot of sports have no willingness to fight whatsoever. We don't know what's going to happen. By the way, the uh, All-Star game is set for Atlanta. Don't know what the NBA is going to do. By the way, the argument that's made uh, uh, over uh, at, at CNN by Terrence Moore is that the food and water thing, it may discourage black Georgia voters who historically wait in longer lines than non-minorities and often in hot weather. Um. Let, let us all understand something. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. You have to give people food and water to vote? They should vote, and they can bring their own food and water. I'll take on anybody on this subject. Come at me, bro. If you make the argument that someone who is black needs food and water given to them in order to vote, your racism is too much to bear. You're out of your head. Don't you get it? We, the free and thinking people of America, aren't the problem. You are. And we've noticed. And we're laughing at you. And we think you're dangerous, so we're keeping an eye on you as well. Stop thinking that people are, are somehow incapable because of the color of their skin. It's an un-American way to think. It's disgusting and it's bigoted. And you should stop it. Not you. They. But that's, that is the hill they're dying on. Water. Bottles of water handed out. That's why this bill is no good. Voter ID everywhere. I'm Tony Katz. Bud? We're not talking about the sled. That's a Citizen Kane. Spoilers! That, oh, oh, really? Spoiler on Citizen Kane? Yeah, maybe you haven't seen it. Oh, well... <laughs> I can't be held responsible for that. Tony Katz, great to be with you on Tony Katz today. There was a show which got brought to Netflix. It was Canadian in nature, and it's something Creek. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on air. I'd rather you didn't. Right? It, it, it sounds like like Smith's, but it's, it's not. S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on air. So out of respect for the stations, I don't. Uh, it's uh, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, uh, Annie Murphy as Alexis, and Dan Levy, uh, Eugene Levy's son, as, as David. Ew, David. And a show was very funny. Very, very funny. I thought extremely well done on what I assume was a, a pretty low budget. Excellent work. Well, it's based on the fact that this rich family loses all their money and the only asset they have is this motel. Actually, they own a whole town in the middle of Nowhereville and uh, they have to live in this motel. And uh, that's where the, the show takes place. The motel, which got named the Rosebud, is for sale. 
you can buy the motel for one point, what is it? $1.591 million. It can be yours. It's in Mono, Ontario, 50 miles northwest of downtown Toronto is, is, is where uh, it is. Uh, it's on 6.7 acres. It abuts the Nottawasaga River. Thank you very much. Nine rooms on the show. 4,300 square foot property is actually comprised of six apartment-like units with kitchenettes and baths, as well as a two-story, three-bedroom, one-bath space that serves as the manager's suite. For a million? 1.5. That's honestly not a bad deal. Yeah, it's Canadian. I don't know. Oh, you stop it. What's the- I'm just saying, I don't know Canada real estate. Uh, it describes the place as being non-operational. Right? The owner bought it for 820000 would love to see it turned into a show-themed motel. Now, running a motel is not easy. But I, it's funny because in the show, like, am, am I giving spoilers of the show if I talk about the show? I'm talking about the show. In the show, uh, uh, the, the, the guy loses all his money, uh, Eugene Levy, and uh, the, the woman who, who kind of owns the, the, the place, they get into the business of franchising these out, and they go and try and sell the, to, to investors this, this idea. If you had Rosebud Motels based on the show in places along Route 66 or across the country, people would stay. They'd 100% stay in them. Not even a doubt. That's not an easy business. That is not an easy business at all. So you can't just say, hey, I'd rather somebody did that. Why don't you not sell it? Why don't you do it yourself? Or put some money into it and just take some investors. Meanwhile, it could be yours. And producer Ari, your investment specialist, is like, that's not a bad price. I didn't realize it wasn't in working condition. So if you, if you have any bridges you care to sell, reach out to producer Ari. That's producer Ari. Rochelle Walensky is the director of the CDC. And the director of the CDC is very, very scared. Not just scared, nope, a sense of impending doom. I'm going to pause here, I'm going to lose the script, and I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, so much promise and potential of where we are, and so much reason for hope, but right now I'm scared. Um, I know what it's like as a physician to stand in that patient room, gowned, gloved, masked, shielded, and to be the last person to touch someone else's loved one because their loved one couldn't be there. I know what it's like when you're the physician, when you're the healthcare provider, and you're worried that you don't have the resources to take care of the patients in front of you. I know that feeling of nausea when you read the crisis standards of care and you wonder whether there are gonna be enough ventilators to go around and who's gonna make that choice. And I know what it's like to pull up to your hospital every day and see the extra morgue sitting outside. What in the world is this all about? Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, what is she freaking out about? Oh, oh, uh, variants. Because there's a rise in COVID cases. 
So the head doc of the CDC wants you to live in fear. So she has an impending case of doom based on the increased, based on the increase in cases. Look, I am never going to tell this doctor that she can or can't have a, uh, a, a feeling of, of doom, right? You, you, you be you. you. You've got an impending feeling of doom. Just, you know, okay. Okay. I, I, I don't. And I don't think that you having done this, that, or the other changes that or makes your uh, view any more valuable than mine. If you want to tell me about medicine, you've got more experience than I do. I'm listening. But this is a conversation about society. And no, you actually don't have more of a say. You don't have the capacity to tell me I should live in fear and therefore locked up. Our days of locked up are over. Over. 150% complete and done. They never should have happened to begin with. We should be ashamed of ourselves in what we allowed to happen in society that we allowed ourselves to live in fear is nonsense, is shameful. And all we have to do is stop. Now, not living in fear doesn't mean that we live foolishly. I have no issue with with wearing a mask. None. I don't think masks have proven themselves to be as effective as everyone would like. We put on masks and cases went up. We put on masks and the flu went away. So clearly works on some things and not all things. But if somebody wants to wear a mask, I don't mind them doing so. If a business wants to require a mask, I guess they can do so. Can the state or can a government require I wear a mask? I don't believe they can. And that should have been fought with far more aggression. The state was abusive. I say that of my individual state of Indiana. I say that of of states across the nation. Well, Tony, it was a a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. I don't actually care. It's not because I don't care. My point is, is that it does not give anybody some level of carte blanche to say, well, the Constitution, meh. Well, you can't get together to, to, to practice your religion. Well, you're not allowed to open your business, but those people can open their business. No, it does not, and there is no argument. There is no decency in that maneuver, and yet we allowed it to happen. You realize how willing people are to go along. Willing to go along out of fear or some really uh, ugly sense of of, uh, decency. It's not decency to go along in these cases. It's only decency to protect the Constitution, which does not get suspended in the middle of a crisis. And I know there are people who disagree with me, and governors disagree with me. Hey, they're, they're wrong, that's all. I would tell them thusly and directly and then go back to having a bourbon. They're just wrong. 
In New York, they're going to have a vaccine passport. It's called the Excelsior Pass. Hot Air with the story, hotair.com. You can actually find this on Instagram. Uh, Go to Tony Katz or search for me. Uh, Make sure you follow and you'll find uh, this story. It allows New Yorkers to prove their vaccination status or their recent history of a negative COVID test in order to gain entry to events and businesses. Similar, according to a news release, to a mobile airline boarding pass. Individuals will be able to either print out their pass or store it on their smartphones using the Excelsior Pass wallet app. Translation, do you have your papers in order? I don't believe I have to share with anybody whether or not I've been vaccinated. I don't believe I have to do it with my employer. I don't believe I have to do it with an airplane because there is nothing else they test for. What else should be checked for? What other communicable disease does the airline or does the museum or does Broadway check for? Go on. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to name them. You name them. What other sexually transmitted disease? What other dangerous, deadly diseases and viruses? Well, there's there's all sorts of privacy rules, whether you want to argue. Like you knowingly have chickenpox, you can't get on a plane, right? No, 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 no. I don't believe that that's true. If you have chickenpox, you shouldn't get on a plane. But nobody checks your vaccination status before you get on a plane. This is true. No one. So how are they going to do it now? And if they're going to do it for this, I got a list of 20 things they need to do it for. Specifically gonorrhea and specifically for members of Congress. I want those details known. I want to know which member of Congress is flying with syphilis today. I think we all need to know. I I think we need to know. And by the way, I don't think we should uh, limit this just to commercial travel. Celebrities who fly privately are going from one state to another state. Who knows what they're bringing with them? So when they log their flight plan, they must show us all the things they've been vaccinated for. I need to know whether they have hepatitis. I I need to know whether they have, well, pick your sexually transmitted disease. Come on. Why not? Do we believe in safety or not? This passport idea is the same thing as a Dr. Walensky uh, worrying about impending doom. Cases might very well go up if there are new strains, B117 and others, although we're seeing that the vaccine is working on those new strains. We are going back to our lives come hell or high water. Any governor who thinks of lockdowns again should be thrown out of office by any means necessary. How could you even think of doing anything else? By the way, there's only one means necessary, and that's the ballot box. Can we please just not get crazy? It's a virus, and we all have to just go on with our lives. And some people, they should go out sparingly. And some people are going to go out every single day. I'm one of those people. I've made the decision. My family has made the decision. We're not living in fear. But I got Walensky living in fear which is not a good look for a doctor. And I've got New York saying, why don't we just go back to being Germany in the 30s? Or uh, East Berlin in the 60s. Or Russia, most probably today. China, most definitely today. 
Are your papers in order? It's frightening. You see, that should be the impending doom. And people look at that and they go, oh, that's such a good idea. We're going to be so safe. (sighs) Don't live in fear. It's a terrible way to live. I'm Tony Katz. So somebody did some really good research. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, an absolute pleasure to be with you. And the research, it's so funny. It's as if they had been listening to the show. And something that I've discussed, it's this idea that when we see shootings that take place on the streets, uh, they are black on black. It's a black shooter. More often than not, the shooter is black. But when we see mass shootings, more often than not, the shooter is white, like a school shooting. Why is that? I have brought that up numerous times. But it's clear that I hadn't gone a step further because it's obvious that not every mass shooting is done by someone who is white. And it's just like it's true that not every shooting on the street is done by somebody who is black. But culturally, you take a look at how people deal with situations, how they deal with perceived slights, how they deal with adversity. And we could say, well, we've seen some school shootings and we can see that this has happened. Why has it happened? I don't ever want to deny taking a look at a subject Because, A, it'll make someone feel uncomfortable. Screw them. Uh, But second, uh, that somehow you'll get get called out for it or called a name for it. No, 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 no. We have to address subjects. This brings me to hotair.com. John Sexton reporting. John's been around for forever. John's a good guy. Good, good dude. And he is discussing taking a look at who engages mass shootings. And this because we saw so many people in the light of what happened in Boulder. Oh, it was a white man. Oh, it was just a white man. They went to it immediately at the quick. They didn't wait for any information. Oh, it was a white man. So someone by the name of James Allen Fox has been looking into this. And Megan McArdle started engaging the research and wrote over at uh, the Washington Post, the numbers undercut myths about mass shootings and white men. Oh, dang. James Allen Fox is a criminologist at Northeastern University. Maintains a database in collaboration with the Associated Press in USA Today, covering all mass shootings since 2006. And so Megan McArdle said, I'd like for you to analyze the data around things like Boulder. What they found is that 55% of perpetrators in such incidents had been reported as white, and in some cases, race was unreported. Right? When a different data set was ran from 76 to 2019, what they found is that 64% of shooters were white. Okay. 
So I clearly am not crazy. Uh, but, it, it, you know, I, in, in terms of I, I've, I've got it right in, in that there's, a, there's an issue here. But maybe it's not as large of an issue as I think, or maybe that's kind of playing around the edges. It's still an issue. How does that 64% play out? What they found is that while most mass shootings are committed by adult men, I think we can agree to that, the census data shows that 67% of adult men in the United States are non-Hispanic whites. That's how the data shares it. So it would appear, as James Allen Fox, his data shows, and as Megan McArdle's looking at it, that the percentage of white men committing these crimes is close to what would be expected from pure chance. Meaning, there is not a greater propensity, an outsized propensity based on the population for white men to be involved in these shootings. That's the way people are going to take it on the top line. I think that underlying line still matters a great deal. That if you take a look at the data, 64% of those shooters are white. The question can still be asked and is worthy to be asked of why. That is not a, a, a statement of bigotry. That is a statement of understanding based on data. The numbers show us something. Why in the bloody world should we not engage it, talk about it, discuss it? What are we all out of our heads? We should be looking at this and asking ourselves why. But man, is this, is this a disaster to the people who are super duper woke and simply want to say all shootings, white men. It's like the numbers don't matter. It's like the data doesn't matter. You know what matters? <sighs> Narrative. What matters is putting it out there. It doesn't matter if it's right or it's wrong. It doesn't matter if it's true or false. Why would it? Why should it? If you're just trying to move something to get people to hate others, well, what you do is you just put it out there and you don't worry about the rest. And anytime someone comes at you and says, uh, uh, look, the, the data doesn't... Uh, you know, discuss that or prove that, you've already moved on to the next narrative. That's how they work. That is the evil and the insidiousness of who they are and what they do. Look at the conversation we're having. A conversation about data and someone broke it down and we're sharing it. So we've got numbers and information and that numbers and information shows that it's not an outsized problem regarding people who are white, but it's still a problem that we should look into. Look how we're recognizing two things at the same time. Isn't that what rational people are supposed to do? I think it's what rational people should do. Look at data and then talk about how you solve these issues. No matter how uncomfortable it makes one. Some people just want to destroy the enemy. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Instagram, Parlor, Twitter, at Tony Katz. Make it happen.